You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. We're going to begin this message with a very uh, special first sermon from my daughter, Lucy May. Was, uh, yesterday I was uh, reading through my sermon again Kind of in preparation for uh, for this morning And Lucy came up to me She said, uh, hey, can I, can I help you write your sermon? I was like, well, 
kind of done. <laughs> uh, but I said, why don't, do you want to write a message? And she said, yes, I want to write a, I want to write a sermon. So she got her, her crayon and her paper and her Bible, and she came out, and we, uh, sat down and she said, I want to write about Jonah. And so we read through the story of Jonah and she got her points, you know, that uh, God loved Jonah and God loves us. And so just like Jonah, we should obey God and go to Nineveh, which he's really big on. Um, she got her little table and she wanted to preach that, you know, for everyone so that I could show everybody because she is uh, a showman. Uh, <laughs> But as I was watching it, it just reminded me how far things have come from when we first came to Arizona, and uh, my daughter didn't even want to go to any kind of kid's church. She was miserable, and uh, she, didn't, there, she was the only kid. And uh, to see her now and to see um, the relationships and to see the people that have invested in her life just makes me so thankful uh, as a pastor, but also as a friend. I'm just thankful that there are people who have invested into her life. So from Katie and I, and I'm sure everybody that has kids, we want to say an honor, whether you're online or, or here with us today, thank you to everybody who has invested into our kids and to Delaney for leading our kids ministry. Can we honor them? Man. That just makes me so happy. I, I'm not a perfect dad by any means, but it's kind of like, okay, we're getting something right. Something is, something's landing. <laughs> um, so cool. And, you know, it was just, it was a banger word. It was good. So altar call. <laughs> I'll tell her if you didn't come up. <laughs> But uh, I'm just really thankful for good friends. I was thinking about this this week and, and the journey of, you know, really four years that, that we've been here and, and that life and, you know, friends and coming and going in life and thinking about we came down with six people, um, you know, initially and, and, and my parents and, and some awesome people coming down here and, uh, and then meeting some incredible people and developing some amazing friendships in Arizona and just been such a blessing and... Uh, I, I, that, that journey about being so intentional. See, I was an only child, and if there's anything I've learned about only children is we know how to make friends because we're not given any at birth, right? So if I wanted a friend, I had to call them. Uh, we didn't have cell phones, so I'd have to ride my bike to their house and knock front door or back door, depending on, like, how good of friends they were. Like, I became tenacious at finding friends, and that's been my whole life. I didn't have any built-in friends I could just fall back to. Um, so I, I've, like, I've always loved just building friendships, building relationships, and I've just been so thankful as I was reflecting and watching this video, just thankful for all the faithful friends who've just loved on us and our family and have invested into us and given so much. I know that sometimes um, you guys just give so above and beyond for our family, for this church, and I'm just thankful for every one of you. I'm thankful for every one of you who has just been a faithful friend. By faithful friend, I mean those people that when other people are walking away, you're stepping closer. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of friends. Like, faithful friends are the kind of people that when it seems like everybody's looking for a reason to throw a jab, they're going to jump in and take a punch for you. Like, those kind of people. I, I'm just so thankful for that. The, um, that we have that, that we experience that, you know, those kind of like those friends, you, any, any of you guys have these friends where you're just like, like they would help you bury a body. Like I'm not advocating murder, but I'm just saying like, let's say a murder occurred in, in a metaphoric world. <laughs> and for some reason, <laughs> no, we shouldn't go there. Okay, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but I think faithful friendships are so rare today. 
I think uh, in life we're taught how to live in each season, but we're not taught how to transition from seasons. So often we have maybe this group of people that we knew growing up, and we saw them for years in you know, junior high, high school, but then they never really taught us that like eventually all these people are going to go different ways. And so if you don't learn how to build friendships, it's like you feel weird there, and then maybe you built some friends in college. You were in a college group, but no one really talked about what it was going to be like when you got out of your college group, and so you're out of that group, and people have jobs, and you can't just go to Chick-fil-A at 2 o'clock in the morning and try to break in because you forget that it's closed on a Sunday night, or you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, friendships change, and so I think more and more in our world, uh, faithful friendship has become kind of more few and far between. And so I want to ask this question today to kind of get us to begin to search our hearts as we begin this series on 1 John called Real Love for Real Life. I want to ask a question, well, two questions here. First part is, do you have a faithful friend? Some of you instinctively are going to say no. So I want to kind of tag a second question onto that first question. Are you a faithful friend to someone right now? Do you have the priorities, the intent, the attitude, the heart, the focus to be the kind of faithful friend that you desire? Jesus, when he came to this earth, I I love is that Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's perfect, right? The only guy that could have been like a Christian island unto himself, right? If anybody could have walked through life alone, it would have been Jesus. And yet, what is the first thing he did in his ministry? He went out and found what? Friends. One of the first things he does is he goes out and he finds friends. But most importantly, he chose his friends. They didn't choose him. Like he chose them so much that he showed up to their place of employment and said, we're friends now. Come with me forever. Right? Think about that. The last time you showed up to a friend's work and we're like, we're friends now. Like that probably shows some initiative. Right? Like he shows up to their place of employment. He, he, and you're like, well, you know, but that was Jesus. It's like, yeah, but Jesus didn't have perfect friends. Think about Jesus' friends. One of them betrayed and had him executed. Right? Some of you are like, I have friends like that. Well, I mean, you haven't been executed because you're here. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know how that works. But um, some of you have been betrayed by friends, so you know what that feels like. Right? Judas betrays Jesus. Hey, uh, Jesus had a friend named Peter, a disciple named Peter, who abandoned him in his time of need. Some of you have experienced that. That, like, hot-headed friend, the loose cannon. How many, some of you guys are that friend. You know what I'm talking about? Right, that person who's going to pop off and say something wrong, and you're going to end up getting kicked out of an Applebee's. You know what I'm talking about. You know who you are. You're watching online right now. You're stuck in your home. House arrest. <laughs> Jesus had a friend, Thomas, who doubted his potential. Some of you are like, yeah, I have a friend like that. Doubted my potential. That what I said I was going to do, I was going to do. See, Jesus had imperfect friends. And one of these imperfect friends uh, was unlike all the other friends, though they were all imperfect. And because Jesus had one best friend. I don't know if you knew this about Jesus, but Jesus had a best friend. Friend. Some of you, I don't know where you are on the Enneagram chart, but you're like, I have six best friends, and they all mean equally as much to me. Well, Jesus had one, and I think that's about how many you really have. <laughs> Jesus had one best friend, and his best friend, though he was imperfect, you know, he, he wasn't a perfect person, he was someone who was there when no one else was. Jesus' best friend was John. Everybody say John. 
John, John the Beloved. In the book of John, John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a great title. He doesn't say John. He doesn't talk about himself in the third person. He uses the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was like Jesus' little brother. When Jesus was 30, John was roughly, we, we think, about 20 years old. And John was a treasured, true, faithful friend of Jesus. And John writes five books of the Bible. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1 John 1, 2, and 3. And then he writes Revelation. So he's on the full spectrum of unique books that he's writing. And as we've been praying about this season in the church, we're praying, God, what's next? God, where are you calling us next? And he really led me to 1 John because... First John describes light and love and how we live in them. See, love is not an obscure idea. It is a very clear idea that God very clearly outlines what it is and how to live with it. See, so much of love today has become like a, drunk, a junk drawer of emotion that we kind of throw stuff into. It's like, I don't know what to do with this. Is this, what is this? Is this acceptance? Let's read the label. I don't know what it is. Throw it into love right? And so we begin to misdefine love, and in doing so, rob each other of the beauty of loving relationship. And so when we read First John that we're going to study together for the next, here we go, 10 weeks, we're going to be in First John. We're like, hey, you know what? We love the Bible, and this is what we do here. So there you go. So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be in John. We're going to talk about real love for real life. Real love for real life. What does it mean to walk in the light and to walk in love with others? And how many of you know right now in our country, we need to learn how to love one another. Amen? Not to tolerate one another. To love one another. And so I want to talk about John a little bit today. I'm going to give you probably the biggest intro I've ever given in a sermon series to describe one person, but it's important because if we're going to be on this for weeks, I want you to know who's writing this, because to understand John is to understand the love that he's writing about, which is to understand Jesus more. Are you with me? Amen. Okay, so let's jump into this. I want to start by just describing John's family. How many of you know that you really understand somebody when you meet their family? Amen? Oh, come on. Some of you, some of you are sitting next to somebody, and, or you are family, and you're like, eh. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife and I, we came from very different families. Um, and there's things that I learned because we've been dating since we were 16 when we got married. So I've been together with my wife for almost 17 years coming up. 17 years. Married for, I don't know, 12? What is it? 11? It's almost 12 though, right? Almost 11? Okay, good. Well, cool. <laughs> it's all right. We drove separate cars. It's fine. <laughs> um, and when I met her family, I noticed that families communicate differently. So my wife's family is what you might call passive-aggressive. And my family is what you might call aggressive. <laughs> we argue differently. Um, if you work for me, you know that's true. Uh, that We communicate differently. We argue differently. When my wife uh, would... <laughs> Uh, come over, my dad and I, we would argue sometimes, and I was young and foolish, and again, if I could go back, I would change how I was, um, but I was 17, you know, I was an idiot, um, but I, I, we would argue, and my wife would be so shocked, she'd think our family was getting torn apart, this was just like a regular Tuesday for us, but she'd think our family was getting torn apart, that she would go sit outside in front of our house, we'd get done with our arguing, which I just thought was like, I don't know, trying to decide where we're going for dinner, and uh, she would come back in the house, and we're like, where were you? She's like, I went for a walk. I couldn't handle it. 
flip side, when I went to her house and someone brought something up, I was like, here we go. We're going for it. I got my defense. I got my offense. I'm ready to go. And then her sisters were looking at me like, did you, are you dating Satan? Like, what is going on? It was very different, right? Because you get to know family. And then I went on a family reunion with my wife, and it was like this collection of all these different people. There was like 40 people there, and I began to meet the people, the people behind the stories, right? You hear about uncle so-and-so did this, and then you meet them, and you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. So you begin to get the stories because if you know someone's family, you know them. So here's a little bit about John's family. If you brought your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to kind of jump all around. So if you don't have your Bible or you don't want to flip fast and ruin your pages, we're going to have it on the screen. If you're watching online, it's going to be up there. Don't worry. Mark 1, verse 16, it says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting it into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19 says, And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, this is an interesting moment. A, if you're Zebedee, you're, you're both proud that you raised good sons. You know, you'll probably know this later on, who followed somebody who was literally changed the universe forever. So you feel like a good dad. You did your job. But also, they're leaving behind the family business. Right? This is not like they were like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Because we do not want to smell like fish anymore. We're tired of being poor. We're tired of being in our creaky old boat. That's not this scenario for them. Because what we see, and this is how we know they were not poor, they were not outcasts, is because their father Zebedee had a fleet of boats and had enough money to hire servants. Inherent with the ability to pay people is the possession of what? Money. If you want to pay somebody, you better have some money. So by that nature, he had money, the family had money, and they were uh, paying uh, servants to work on the boats. Something we know about fishermen is uh, that this profession was unique in the time that they lived in. Because in the ancient Near East, and in this time, and even in the Roman Empire, the, the water and the sea was considered the abyss. So fishermen were a unique people that went where other people avoided. You avoided the sea. It was not a nice, beautiful place. It was considered chaotic. And so Jesus found, not in the sermon, but important for us, Jesus found people who were willing to go to the edge of the abyss to catch what was out there. And he said, listen, come to me. I'm going to take you to the edge of something you cannot see over that you might fish and bring back something that is precious to me. Anyways, so they leave... Uh, their fishing business. They leave their inheritance. They leave behind their jobs. They leave behind their family in a culture that is family-focused. They leave behind all these things, which is interesting because sometimes when you get called to follow Jesus, we just assume he's gonna, it's going to require leaving behind all of the bad things. But sometimes to follow the call of God in your life requires leaving behind even good things that don't align with where God is calling you. Are you with me? Sometimes in order to follow Christ into the purpose and the plan for your future, you have to leave behind certain things that provide comfort and security in your life. They're not bad, but man, that's not what God is calling these men to do. And so he calls them, and they leave this. John leaves this inheritance. So let's talk about that. Who was John? Let's talk about John's personality. 
at the end of John's life, he is considered uh, this loving, caring, he's like, um, you know, Christian Santa. He's just gentle and kind and, and caring and, and wonderful. And sometimes when we look at the saint, we miss the sanctification. So when we look at John and at the end of his life, we're like, oh my gosh, he's so loving and caring. I'll never be like that. We miss the progress. But let's just be honest with ourselves. We are all works in progress. Amen? Like we are all works in progress. That this idea is called progressive sanctification. Meaning we are on a progress, a journey towards seeking holiness, to growing, to becoming more like Christ. But here is the description. We have uh, John as this saintly hundred-year-old man. Let's flash back to John as he was with Jesus. I want to read you a scripture, Mark 3, 17. Here is Jesus' description. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he, meaning Jesus, gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Okay, what a nickname right? Sons of thunder. Which just goes to show, we give nicknames only to the people we really like or we really don't, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, Haha, I have a nickname. Um, <laughs> That's what Jesus gives them this nickname, but it's not like a peaceful descriptor, right? He doesn't give them like sons of the babbling brook, sons of the gentle meadow. He gives them sons of thunder. That sounds like a 1980s, like, a hockey duo or, like, a wrestling combo, right? The sons of thunder. It sounds like luchadors, like, coming into the ring. Like, they're going to jump over, like, tag team in their silver outfits and just crack, like, get somebody over the shoulder, right? That's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like a 100-year-old man writing, my beautiful, gentle children. It sounds like some hyped-up dude on spandex and caffeine diving into the ring and suplexing somebody. Right? Does it sons of thunder? Sons of thunder. You have to say it that way. Like, you'll pay for the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Sons of thunder. <laughs> right? That's what it feels like. He gives them this name. And Jesus, Jesus Christ, nicknames them sons of thunder. Like, to think about that. He's like, Simon, your name will be Peter. To you, I will build the rock. Y'all are sons of thunder. Right? <laughs> like, that's the difference. He gives them this nickname. And you're like, man, that, that seems like a really profound nickname. Yes, well, they earned it. And let me give you some examples of how they earned it. Luke 9, 51. I love this scripture. And I heard this explained to me this way, and it blew my mind. Luke 9, 51 says, When the days drew near for him, meaning Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so he sent messengers ahead of him, his disciples, who went and in entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, Jesus sends his disciples into a Samaritan village. And some of these disciples are the sons of thunder. And they go into the village, but they're Samaritans. And the Samaritans and the, and the Jewish people have a complicated um, history. And there's a lot of racial tension. Because when a lot of the Israelites were taken away uh, by Babylon, uh, and they were taken as slaves, there were some that remained in a certain part uh, of Israel and Judah. And they, you know, worshipped their own gods. They kind of did their own thing. There was a separation. So they worshipped differently. They worshipped different places. There was a lot of racial tension. And I love about Jesus is that he never seems to walk around racial tension. He always seems to walk straight into it. Uh, anyways, side note. But he walks right into it, and so he sends them, and, and it says the people didn't want him. Here's verse 54, awesome verse. It says, 
When the disciples James and John, sons of thunder, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us, throwing it out there, to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? It says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. You have to get this picture. Jesus says, go on ahead, make way for me. They come back and they say, okay, um, hey, Jesus, yeah, they don't, they don't want you. Uh, to go into, the, they don't want to make a way for you. So we were thinking, just want to throw it out. What if we just burned them alive? <laughs> think about this moment. Jesus, uh, yeah, we were thinking, they don't want you. So um, think about the boldness here. Not would you call fire down from heaven, but like, don't worry, Jesus, we got this. Um, why don't we call fire down from heaven to consume sons of thunder, consume the village that we're going into. Think about that. That's a little bold. That's, that's a bit much. Jesus is like, no, I, I think, man, we'll just, we'll just go around. Peter's like, that's too much even for me, guys. <laughs> okay, another snapshot here. Mark 10, 35. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, here they are again, sons of thunder, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That is such a kid request. Anyone ever made that request to your parents? Any parents have that kid request to you? Like, hey, um, yeah, Dad, uh, I want to ask you something, but I need you to say yes. It's like, well, then initially, no. <laughs> like, but you need to say yes. Before I ask, I need to, no, no, no. So here's what they say. We want you to just say yes to whatever we ask. And here's what he Here's what he says. What do you want me to do for you? Classic. Verse 37, they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. It's like, oh, that's sweet. They want to like be with him in heaven. Okay, well, let me kind of explain this. They're saying, Jesus, when you're in heaven and everybody's worshiping you, they're gathered around all the angels and you're on your throne. You're on your throne in heaven. We were thinking you could set up some more thrones next to your thrones, and then we could be on thrones with you in heaven while everyone's worshiping. That sounds a little bolder, right? Like, hey, um, Jesus, we know everybody's going to be kind of worshiping you in heaven. We kind of also would like to be up there with you, kind of with that, that thing happening with some thrones. I mean, they could be like a couple inches back, but we want to be with you, right? It's bold. So I'm, I'm just trying to paint this picture. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. I'm trying to paint this picture that John is maybe a bit impatient, somewhat unloving. Remember, fire. He's aggressive. He's brash. He says things he shouldn't say. And yet, John, at the end of his life, we have gentle St. John the Santa, is over here writing these beautiful letters to the church, calling him their beloved children. In 1 John, if you study and you want to, you can just circle the words love, circle, circle the word um, no, and circle the word fellowship. He's going to say the word love 40 times. In my Bible, the book's only four pages long. It's 10 times per page. <laughs> going to say the word love. John is an old man. He, he, was, he would write all the time about the children of God and loving the children of God. In the beginning of chapter 2, he says, my little children. Literally, that, that is an endearing phrase. He's saying, my little born-again ones. It just has this uh, mentality of gentleness. That seems like a far departure 
from the come off the ropes tag team duo that is Sons of Thunder, right? What a departure. You say, well, you know, he got older. And as you get older, you know, you kind of calm down. I, I don't believe that's true at all. Because I know like a lot of angry old men that were just angry young men and they just got more gray hairs, right? What is it that transforms John to this loving, caring, nurturing, beloved person that he was from this brash, aggressive, fire from heaven, burn a whole village alive person? What transformed him? It's the friendship with Jesus. A friendship with Jesus will change your life. I think in the world, we're longing for more love, but we're unsure what to do. We're longing for deeper relationships, but we're unsure where to start. We're longing for more connection, but we're like, what do I, where do I even begin? How do I live it out? But this is so key to our, our future and our life, is that the love of Jesus makes us more loving. Jesus' love makes us more loving. Like, I don't know where to begin. Well, here's what's amazing. God only expects you to give what he has already given you. Let me explain. God says, show mercy as you have been shown mercy. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Right? We love because what? He first loved us. Everything that is required to build deep relationships, loving community, a beautiful future in your life is inherently existent in the blessing that is Jesus Christ and everything that he could give you. Forgiveness, love, generosity, patience, mercy. He's already given you that. And so what happens is as John builds a friendship with Jesus imbued within that friendship, distilled down to its most core piece is all these qualities of Jesus Christ that then John becomes filled with to begin to pour out to others. The real love for real life that Jesus gave John changed him, not only to love Christ more, but to love others more. Are you with me? John was present when Jesus said this, and he recorded it in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, this is for us, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Talked about John's family, John's personality, his identity. Let's talk about John's ministry. Jesus chose the 12, not the other way around, which would have been interesting. Jesus chose the 12, and he was intentional about who he chose. But I'm really thankful that he chose John, because I think John is such an important figure in the life of Jesus. And it's my time weird to say, but I am thankful that Jesus had— It's all right, I'm done with that part. I'm thankful that Jesus had John. I'm thankful for that. You know, if you're a transplant to Scottsdale, you might, you might understand a lot more of Jesus than you really think that you do. Meaning this, Jesus did ministry in his life without his family around. Now, they would come around, but they didn't walk with him in all the places. When he went to his hometown, they were there like, hey, can we get in and see Jesus? I'm, I'm his cousin. I know him. Right? I'm his mom. I mean, he would come around multiple times, but they weren't with him on that journey. They didn't mutually suffer with him. James, his brother, comes later, but... 
They didn't walk that out with him in that moment, and that's important. If you live your life and long for that kind of family relationship and miss it, can I tell you that that's okay because Jesus intimately knows that part of your heart? Like, that's something he's felt. I'm sure there were days as they were sleeping outside in the garden or get going into someone's home or he was, you know, they're trying to make him king or chase him out of somewhere. He probably longed for his family. How about this? Jesus didn't have a spouse. So if you don't have a spouse, can I tell you, you and Jesus have probably shared similar emotions in your life of longing for that companionship. Like, I consider it a privilege to have a spouse, but Jesus did not have a spouse. Jesus also didn't have kids, so there was a unique dynamic of not having children. If you long to have kids but don't have those in your life, can I tell you that Jesus has probably felt that emotion as well, that unique place of longing for a relational depth. So what did Jesus do? He built fellowship, deep relationship with others. And the primary person, the one person, not eight, not a hundred, not a thousand, the one person that he built that deep relationship with was John. Sometimes Jesus was surrounded by 20,000 people. When he feeds the 5,000, they say, well, that's just the men they're counting, women, kids, everybody. That could have been 20,000 people there. Sometimes he was followed by 120. He knew about 70. Well, I mean, he knew all of them, but in the scope of his circle, 70. And he was friends with 12, but he was really close to three, and he was best friends with one. I kind of like that model. I mean, to some of you, you probably live that model. Like, you know, you know, you might have thousands of people on Facebook or whatever, and you're like, I don't know who this is. It's like my aunt's friend from knitting class in, you know, eastern Montana. Like, you don't know. But then you might know 120, like you just might know of them. You might really know 70, like I know these 70 people are college friends, people, people from back home or whatever. But you really like, you really know 12. Like you have like 12 friends, three people that you can really rely on. Those are your close friends. And one person who's your like confidant, closest friend. John was that friend in uh, Mark 5 when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. It's this beautiful story. But not everybody's there, not all the disciples, just Peter, James, John are there with Jesus in this beautiful moment, not 12, three. In the transfiguration when Jesus meets with God and, and it says that Moses and Elijah come down, there's this powerful moment where God like removes the veil of his glory. Think about that. Like, what'd you do for lunch? Like, I don't know, we got some ATL wings. Like, oh really? I met Elijah from heaven. You know, Elijah, like from the Bible and Moses, like, also from the Bible, yeah, met with them and Jesus, right? That'd be a big lunch. And so there's this powerful moment. The 12 are not there. It is Peter, James, and John. Powerful moment. John was in the garden when Jesus was in such anguish that he wept blood. John's there. And if he could have stayed awake, probably would have been a better friend. But he's in the garden. And so when we look at the life of John and the ministry of John, we see it reflected in the ministry of Jesus, this unique and intimate friendship they had. And in fact, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see how this plays out in a, in a couple ways. I want to give you just three quick snapshots as we're doing this and explaining John. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Uh, the Last Supper. You might have seen the painting. Everybody's sitting on the same side of the table. Got to get to the table for, you know, like 24 people when you go out to a restaurant because everyone's got to sit on the same side. Um, it actually wasn't shaped like that. It was shaped more like a U-shape, and people would recline. Uh, so it was a lot of laying down when you ate. It was better for digestion, they thought, or something. 
Um, but they're all together at this table, and here's what happens. John 13, verse 21. It says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. That's probably an understatement. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's John. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. This is, this is a good moment. Peter's smart here. Because Jesus just goes, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. They might not have fully understood what that meant. But they didn't know who this meant at all. And everyone's just looking around bewildered. And Peter, and I'm just going to conject because I think it's funny. I think Peter was likely like, hey, John, make sure he's not talking about me. Like, we're still good, right? Like, Peter ever worrisome that Jesus was somehow angry at him. I just picture that a little bit, like, because he's so brash. But he's like, hey, find out who. Maybe, maybe Peter wanted to, you know, get this person out of the 12. We don't know. But what we do know is it says that John, the disciple, leaned back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, I always thought that everyone saw this and therefore understood that Judas was the betrayer. But they didn't. Only John knew. Because Jesus only says it to John. Because in, in a, at dinner settings, if you were an intimate friend, you'd be right up on the shoulder of somebody. Um, personal space was different culturally. You're right there. And so you would lean your head in and block the person's face from everybody else. And you're, you know, your face would be facing this way. You say, hey, man, who is it? And you would whisper into their ear. It was, it was intimate. They had a close friendship. And so Jesus tells John. Judas then gets up and leaves, and everyone goes, oh, he probably had to pay the bill. That's what they all think because he held the money, right? And notice how John doesn't tell anybody, right? He's not like, he doesn't do that like Christian concerned talk. Like, hey, guys, I'm just really concerned about Judas right now. He doesn't trust the Lord with his money, so kind of like no surprise, he doesn't trust him with the rest of his life. All right? None of that. Like, he doesn't do any of that tone. Like, yeah, I mean, I love, I love Judas, but I'm really worried about him right now. Like, well, if you're worried about Judas, you can go tell Judas, save his soul. Right? Like, if he, does anyone, you guys, you've never been a part of the Christian concerned speech? You just don't admit it? I've been a part of it. Like, I'm just really concerned about them. Like, no, you just want a really easy way to say this person's acting bananagrams and I need to tell somebody. Right? Doesn't do it. He takes it all the way to the cross. Why? Because to be a faithful friend, you need to be a trustworthy place of confidence. I'm not saying dangerous things. I'm not saying abuse. I'm not saying, I'm saying that you need to be able to be trusted with things. And so John was trusted. There was an intimacy to his life. He doesn't tell the crew. He just tells himself. Good friendship requires trustworthy confidence. Takes it all the way to the cross. The cross is probably the most powerful moment of their friendship. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's denied by Peter. He's abandoned by everyone, but who's still there? John 19, 25 says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved, look at that. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I don't want to, man, it's just a brutal moment. I would say, like, put yourself there, but I, it's almost impossible to. What we know about crucifixion is they didn't crucify him 35 feet up in the air. They crucified him at 
eye level so that when you walked by somebody, you looked them right in the eyes and you knew this is what happens to you if you mess with Rome. So if you're Mary, you are staring your son in the eyes as he cries out in anguish, as people spit on him. How could they spit on him if he was so high? He was right there. They would walk up to his face and they would spit in his face. Your baby that you carried for nine months and you birthed and you bore, they would spit in his face and they would mock him and he was bleeding and abused and cried out in pain. And Jesus looked and there was no Peter. There was no Thomas. There was none of his disciples except for one person was there. John. You know, Jesus was a real person, and he had a real heart. And though I could never put myself, I just can, can you begin to imagine what it would have been like to be on that cross and to see John there? Everyone else is gone. Everyone else had abandoned him. What do you think it meant to look out and see John? That's why I say I'm glad Jesus had John. Because it meant something for Jesus to see John standing there, to look and say, man, like, I, I know if they catch you, you're going to die. You're going to be crucified. You're going to be murdered. And to have John look at him and just know by the nature of where he is, he doesn't care about any of that. He's here for you. And so Jesus looks at John, his best friend, and he says, John, this is my mother, and I trust you to care for her as your own mother. And mom, he's going to take care of you. Eye level, brutal death, crucifixion, bleeding out, final moments. Mommy, he's going to take care of you, and I trust him. Be one thing to say, have you ever been, have you ever had a friend like that? But I think more importantly, let me ask, are you a friend like that to anybody else? Are you John to anybody else? Are you Jesus to anybody else? Amidst the chance of suffering, pain, all things, there you are. Because can I tell you, Jesus is always there. And so we long for that kind of friendship. Have you put in the time, the love, the risk, the pain, the suffering to be that kind of friend? Because can I tell you, if you want that kind of friendship, the kind that stands there, I mean, I feel like we don't have to say anything else about Jesus' friendship with John other than that moment. This is my mom. I trust you with her. That really says something. You trust somebody with your mother. That is a powerful moment of friendship. Jesus and John the deepest friends. That's why I love the resurrection, the third snapshot here, is that Jesus, you know, is, is placed in the tomb. He goes to the cross for our sin and shame, and in going to the cross, he defeats our sin, and in rising from the grave three days later, he defeats death, right? So he brings us into the resurrection, free from the sin and shame. It doesn't matter how you walked in here. It doesn't matter if you accidentally clicked this YouTube link on the way to somewhere else. It doesn't matter. Jesus has risen again to release us and free us from the bondage of sin and shame to defeat death. So he rises again. And so in John verse 20, or chapter 20, we see that the women are on the way to the tomb. 
and the women are coming to mourn. And when they come to mourn, they see that the stone is rolled away. And I love just culturally, in a culture that where women's testimony would have counted for nothing, you would need either two women or, or a couple sources or, or some men, that, that women are the first witness of Jesus Christ. I just love like God's kind of like thumbing at the broken virtues of man to be like, no, women are valuable. <laughs> like, and so he, anyways, that's a totally different message. Doesn't matter. Um, but they see the tomb and they run back and they find who? Peter and John. And because they're leaders and they're his friends. And so it says this, uh, John 23 through 5. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running. Here's what you can do when you write the Bible. You can write stuff like this. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's such a dude thing to write right there. Like we were running, but I was faster. And that's in the Bible forever. <laughs> And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Now he does give Peter the fact that Peter runs straight in, which is classic Peter. John gets there faster. He is the first person, because he's the first person to see in and see that it's empty. So he's the first person to recognize the completed resurrection of Jesus Christ. Others saw the, st the um, stone rolled away, saw the angels. He's the first one to see in and see that it's empty. Powerful moment. Jesus Jesus appears to 500 people in 40 days after his resurrection. But who saw him first? His best friend. Like, are you getting that Jesus was real? He's a real person? He had, like, a best friend? It's like, who would you show if you rose from the dead? I don't know, like, your bestie. Right? Like, he shows, like, there's, there's something powerful in their relationship that Jesus runs to the grave, or that John runs to the grave, and that he discovers that Christ is resurrected, and then he goes on to leave one of the most amazing legacies of faith. He meets Jesus when he's 20. He lives to be over 100 years old, and the whole time he leaves this amazing legacy of faith that nothing can turn him from that friendship. They, they, they try to burn him alive in oil. He won't burn, so they don't know what to do with him. That's pretty hardcore. So they exile him to Patmos, which is like this desolate island. So what does he do? Jesus visits him because... They're buds, and he gives them revelations. Think about that. Like, he doesn't give them, like, a love letter. He gives them, like, the craziest, most amazing revelation ever. You're like, oh, it's amazing. He returns to Ephesus as a pastor, a preacher, a writer, a teacher, devotes his whole life to telling people what? About his friend, Jesus Christ. About his friend. About his best friend, Jesus Christ. He gives everything to share what a blessing friendship with Jesus can be. Acts 4.13, when the whole early church starts popping off, I love it, they're standing before the council, him and Peter, and the council's talking, they have all these answers, and it says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Acts 4.13, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and what does it say, the final verse, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Here's a guy, now he's, you know, financially successful as a fisherman, sure, but uneducated, did, did not go to, to the traditional law schools that they would have had, did not follow a traditional rabbinical figure till Jesus. The guy writes five books of the Bible, and like I said, Revelations being one of them, right? Revelations, you don't even understand Revelations. You're like, yeah, I do. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't understand Revelations at all. I'm like, um, some of you that are like, I'm a theology major. I understand. Sure, great. Send me an angry email letter. <laughs> we'll argue about pointless things. Uh, but he writes Revelation. 
That doesn't sound like the words of an unlearned man. That sounds like the words of someone who is inspired by the mighty, 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 powerful love of God. Why? Because he had been with Jesus, and a friendship with Jesus will change your life. Jesus takes 12 people from different backgrounds and says, look, if you would allow it to happen, to be in relationship with me, it will change your life. The angry person becomes the peaceful person, right? The dramatic person becomes the patient person. The doubting person becomes the faithful person. Doubting Thomas goes to flip in India and gets run through with a spear trying to tell people about Jesus. You don't do that because you're still a doubter. You do that because you've been transformed by the friendship of Jesus Christ. And so John is saying, look, I'm writing this book, the longest intro I've ever preached. I'm writing this book to say that a friendship with Jesus will change your life. Okay, now we can read 1 John 1, and then I'm done. I promise. You're still with me? Say amen. Amen. Okay, let's do it. That which was from the beginning, just a short little verse. In fact, band, you guys can come up. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. Okay, stop there. John is saying, listen. I know Jesus, right? Like, if anybody's going to know Jesus, maybe John and Mary, when they, you know, because remember, he took Mary in as a mother. Maybe they argued about, like, who knew him better? Like, well, I was with him kind of in the really important years. But he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I knew Jesus. I saw every beautiful and brutal moment. I loved him as a brother. I ate with him. I walked with him. I could reach out and touch him. I could pat him on the back. I could walk with him. I knew him. I saw his words. I saw his deeds. It was amazing. I walked with him. I was a friend with him. When everyone else abandoned him, when everyone else ran away, I was there holding his mother at the cross. When everybody was hiding in the house, I ran to his tomb to see him. And he revealed himself to me. And I have now lived a life in pursuit of that Jesus. I'm telling you, that Jesus is real. Can I tell you, there is no better source than John for the reality of the love of Jesus. And he's saying, look, he has transformed my life. He has not only taken my sins, but he has given me a beautiful friendship. And now I so long, not for you to be like the sons of thunder, old John calling fire, but to be like I am now, having been transformed by the love of God and therefore being a more loving person. And so I'm writing you with a specific purpose. And John is staring into all of time, into our life today with a specific purpose. He's saying, may you have fellowship with us. 1 John 1, 3 says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That word fellowship is koinonia. It means a participative relationship with God. See, the world has friends. The church has fellowship. Different. Because fellowship is friendship that is rooted in Christ Jesus. All of his love, all of his mercy, all of his faithfulness, all of his forgiveness. It is rooted in the love of Jesus. And John is saying, I'm not just telling you this so that you could have more friends. I'm telling this so that you could be a friend of Jesus and in being a friend of Jesus, have deeper relationships.
relationships with others that go beyond anything you've ever known because as you get a deeper revelation of the love of God through friendship and relationship with him, you will then hopefully pour that love into others, creating deeper, deeper relationship. Think of it this way. The friendship with Jesus is like cool water in a desert. It's refreshing. It's renewing. It's restorative. But if you drink that cool water, if you've ever been out hiking here and you get that cool water, if you then saw somebody hiking up the mountain with no water, what would your response be? Cool, just me. I'm going to get them some water. <laughs> right? Whatever. I'm going to get them some water. Why? Because you know what a blessing it is to have it. And so as you receive more of it, you feel more inclined to give more of it. You will build deeper relationships if you have a deeper relationship with Christ. More mercy, more patience. The world is thirsty. Can I tell you, we're thirsty. We're thirsty in this church. We're thirsty in this town. We're thirsty in this nation. For true fellowship, Christ-rooted friendship. He said, man, I've tried. I've tried to build friends, but people have hurt me. They've left me. I'm like, great. Talk to Jesus about it because he knows exactly what that feels like. And until you've been murdered by one of your friend's actions, you're not there yet. <laughs> right? And Jesus, he understands people are messy and difficult. They don't call you back and you become close friends and they don't live things out the way you thought they were going to go. But he says, listen, your primary goal is friendship with Jesus. And then your secondary goal is I'm going to pour that into others. But you've got to do the first part. I'm a friend of Jesus. Can I tell you, there is no friend like Jesus. If you know Jesus, I hope you know this is true. We're singing the song, Goodness of God, in a second. I love it because it's basically just talking about the friendship of Jesus. Like, things have been hard, but you're still good. That's called friendship of Jesus right there. The friendship of Jesus. If you don't know the friend that is Jesus, can I tell you, he'll never betray you, abandon you, leave you, and he's here for you right now. And today, if you make that choice, he's going to do a miracle in your life, and he's going to begin that relationship. We say that this is the first and most important yes that you'll ever say to Jesus in your life, and it's simply this, Jesus, I long to be your friend, to walk with you. You're my Savior, you're my Lord, you take my sin and my shame away. You're also my friend. My second question is, are you a Jesus friend to someone today? The kind of friendship that Jesus gives us, the kind of time, the kind of priority, the kind of heart, the kind of mercy, the kind of grace, are you that friend to someone today? Are you that friend to someone today? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to respond together in a moment of worship. But I want to pray two things. If you just close your eyes and bow your head. If you're watching online, I encourage you, even if you're in your home or you know, wherever you might be, I encourage you just to close your eyes and focus your heart. Our team is going to be responding there online. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you to respond. But if you're in this place, and you're saying, man, I want the friendship of Jesus. I see this John and Jesus relationship, this faithfulness, this love, this care. I need a friend who will never leave me, never abandon me, never forsake me, never put me down, always lift me up, never destroy, always build, always encourage, always persevere, always endure. I need that kind of friendship with Jesus. Maybe you've never had that in your life. Can I tell you, today is the perfect moment to meet my friend Jesus. He's here for you.
So I want to give you opportunity just in a simple act to respond, and we're going to pray in person and online. Online, there's an option to click raise your hand. If you're here, I'm going to invite you in this moment to raise your hand. But if you're staying in this place, I desire to have that friendship. Maybe you've had it a long time ago, and it's been a long time since you've said yes to Jesus, but today you're going to. I want to encourage you. If that's you and you long for a friendship with Jesus Christ, to receive the miracle that comes through his life, the freedom from all your sin and shame. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand up real quick? I want to pray for you this morning. If you're online, I encourage you to click that link for live prayer. And our incredible team wants to pray with you. But I want to pray over you this morning before you do that, before we worship. Pray, Lord God, you know every heart in this moment who desired in this place and online to say, Jesus, I choose you and I follow you, and I commit my heart to you. And so, God, I thank you that as we do that, as we surrender our life, as we bring only our brokenness, that in the beautiful exchange, you in turn give us new life. You say, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that through him we might receive the righteousness of God. And so, Jesus, when at the end, when, when God judges the earth, that he will not see our sin and our shame, but he will see the blood of Jesus covering us and that we walk in that friendship and we walk in that relationship and we walk in the fullness. So God, we say this morning, we commit our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Second thing this morning before our band leads us, we're wrapping up here this morning. So I want to pray for you, those that are really in this mode where you're like, man, I desire deep relationships, whether that be with Jesus or with others. You're saying, man, I'm in a season, I need deep relationships. Maybe that's a thing, a personal conviction, like, man, I need to go deeper personally. Or it's a loneliness thing, like, God, would you bring people to build those relationships with me? Would you bring people around me? So we're going to do we're gonna do something this morning. And if that's you, you're saying, God, I just long to be a Jesus friend to others. I long for that depth of relationship. I'm just going to invite you just to lift your hands with me this morning. Jesus, I long for that. Just put yourself in a receiving and a releasing posture this morning. Maybe your hands up, we're just releasing it. Maybe out, we're just receiving. Whatever it might be, I want to pray for you this morning. And then as we worship, I'm going to invite you to find a space in the room to worship. Maybe you need to come up here and you want me to pray with you. I'll have my mask on. I'll pray with you this morning. You're just like, I need deeper relationships. Katie and I will be up here. Maybe you're just going to be in your seat and you're going to be standing there worshiping and just saying, God, I need you this morning. I want to be a Jesus friend to others, but I want to pray for you that we're going to worship together. Jesus, I thank you for every person in this place. God, I thank you for Banner Church. God, I thank you for this moment right here. And I pray, Jesus, would you so reveal to us the depths of your love that it could not help but spill out to others. God, would you so reveal to us the depth of your character that it could not help but spill out into others. Holy Spirit, we yield our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we yield our intentions to you. Holy Spirit, we yield our focus to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, would you flow through us? Would you pour out through us that we might reflect the love of Jesus to others? I pray for a depth of fellowship like this church has never seen. I pray for a depth of unity through fellowship that this nation has never seen by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for a depth of fellowship that begins today. And so, God, we begin that process by focusing our hearts and our intention upon you and saying, Jesus, you are good. You are a good friend. And so as I worship you and as you fill me up, God, give me the capability to pour that into others.
others, but first I seek you and say, Jesus, come, fill my heart with your love. Reveal to me the depths of your love. Reveal to me the richness of your friendship. Reveal to me how good and faithful and gentle you are. Reveal more of yourself to me. And God, I just commit in this moment as we worship to not step back, but to press into you and in pressing in that I might see and discover more of your love today. In Jesus' name, I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. I pursue you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Let's just worship the Lord together. 